the smiles on their faces was amazing. Just pulling the things out of the cupboards was fun. The mixer, when they mixed the dough, it was hilarious to watch. One of the men had never even used a mixer before. So we had to explain to him how to put it up and put it down, turn the button on. So it was fun and everybody laughed about it, you know, so that's the key. They were having a lot of fun. Seniors are active in most communities. They don't just want to sit there. They want to be active in programs. And this LKA program, which was the brainchild of the Kearns, was fantastic. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy and supported by Birkenstock, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. For most of us, the annual flipping of the calendar isn't just about a new year. It's about taking on new challenges, forming new goals, and embracing new ideas. Little Kitchen Academy is no different in that regard. What started out as Felicity Curran's brainchild for her own business has evolved into a franchise that has increased its offerings and constantly been refined thanks to input from various voices in the vast network of people it has impacted. This year begins with an idea that is as far away from the original audience as possible on the age spectrum, because 2024 marks the unveiling of a program for seniors at Little Kitchen Academy. That's right, on the heels of creating a toddler's class for children as young as two, LKA will welcome people who are 72, 82, perhaps even 92 into its environment. Now, the rollout of the Seniors Program begins in January and will open in different markets at different times. So get on the email list for your local Little Kitchen Academy to find out when the Seniors Program is available in your area. It's not a population that LKA ever expected to be working with. But just like the man you're about to hear from, they're very excited to be doing so. Ernie He is an advisory board member at Little Kitchen Academy, who after an extremely successful legal career, now finds himself as the Vice President of Element Lifestyle Retirement, an opportunity that has awakened a professional passion he never knew he had. There are so many places I could start with you, but let's start here. It's the bottom of the ninth. There are two out. The bases are loaded. Full count. You're protecting a one-run lead, Ernie. What pitch is Ernie He throwing to close out the game? Have I got a left-handed hitter or a right-handed hitter? You've got a right-handed hitter at the dish. Okay, slider on the outside corner. Was that your go-to pitch back in the day? That's my go-to pitch. <laughs> slider on the outside corner. I like it. Outside, <laughs> keep it away and little something to chase. How big a part of your life was or perhaps is baseball, Ernie? So uh, I started playing baseball when I was about five years old. Went to the college level, played some semi-pro and even played some men's baseball, but it never left my life because my number four child, Ryan, is now at UBC playing baseball, and I have followed him since his career started at five years old, and he's much bigger and throws much harder than I do, so I'm very proud of him. Often when we get introduced to a sport at a young age, there's just that moment where the light bulb goes on and we fall in love with it. What was it about the game of baseball, Ernie, that grabbed you? 
So I played all the sports except football. And so uh, hockey, basketball, volleyball. I think the thing that baseball, I was the best at it, of course, that was my best sport. But I just liked the camaraderie in baseball. Maybe it was the being outdoors really attracted me as well. It was just a sport that I loved really early on. I played all the other sports till high school, but I wasn't good enough to go on beyond that. So for me, baseball just was the sport to go to and remains my number one go-to sport to watch as well. So who was the guy who was either on a poster on your wall or that you looked up to, tried to emulate growing up and wanted to be when you eventually became what you hoped was going to be a pro baseball player? So I was a Cincinnati Red fan. So Johnny Bench was my go-to guy. He wasn't a pitcher, but I just loved the man to death. I loved all of the Reds, including Mr. Rose, who unfortunately fell out of favor with a lot of MLB. But that was my team, was the Reds. And I loved Johnny Bench. He was my best. I loved him. The Big Red Machine, I'd wish I'd been nicknamed that at some point. I just never grew enough to get there. I just kept the Red (laughs) with me, though. Obviously, baseball is a very strategic game to those who know about it. Maybe on the surface, it doesn't appear that way, that it appears simple. But as you know, it's extremely strategic. How, if at all, did thinking about strategy perhaps influence the way you thought as a lawyer or maybe even led you to that career? You know, as a pitcher, and we hear about this more and more in the major leagues, it isn't about the pitch you throw. It's about the pitches you throw before that. It's called the setup, right? So we try to set up hitters. And in life and in my career, I often negotiated very large real estate transactions. So often I would tell my client, like when we were negotiating this, we're not going with our best pitch first. We're strategically trying to set up where we would like to go. And it sort of mimics being a pitcher. So as a pitcher, you, you know, you're not throwing the out pitch on the first pitch because you can't strike them out on the first pitch. And so you're trying to set them up for either a ground ball, a fly ball, or a strikeout. But it's the pitches beforehand that are important. And that really goes throughout life. This is what I did in my life. I set things up. In my transactional life, it was setting up the transaction and then closing it. And I'm very proud of the fact that I closed a lot of real estate deals with that mantra. Set them up, close them. (laughs) That's what we did. Well, and you were extremely successful in doing that. Was it that pursuit of the close that kept you involved? Was it the clients? What was it that compelled you to a legal career? My mom would tell you the story. I watched Perry Mason. Now I'm really aging myself. And I don't know why, but after I watched Perry Mason, I said, I want to be a lawyer. And that was when I was maybe six or seven years old. So for me, other than trying to you know, take a sideline into baseball, which didn't work out, law was always going to be my career. And I just, I loved the law. I didn't want to be a courtroom lawyer. I wanted to be a transactional lawyer. My family was involved in real estate. So I already had an early look at that. And I just loved real estate. And what kept me going for 43 years was the deal. And people who are in real estate will tell you it becomes addictive. And the addiction is you want to get the deal done, tie up the deal, close the deal and move on. Then turn the ownership over to other folks. And so uh, that's what I love to do. And my clients who were so loyal to me and I was so loyal to them, we all felt the same way. You talk to real estate people and they'll say real estate is a disease. Once you do a couple of transactions, you want to do more. You have to be careful because sometimes the best deal you do isn't the deal you do at all. It's the deal you walk away from. And that's the hardest part. I'm sure it is. And it can be a very stressful career as well. But it sounds to me like closing the deal was so much more compelling to you than any stresses associated with it. I'm wondering, you mentioned your son plays 
for the University of British Columbia. He's involved with the Thunderbirds baseball program out there. What's more stressful, you being on the mound in a high leverage situation, being involved in one of those, I'm not sure which way it's going to go real estate deals or watching him play in a high leverage situation? Oh, the latter. No question about that. Every parent will tell you that. All my friends who have played competitive baseball will tell you it's harder watching because you're not in control. And, you know, you're hoping and you bleed the failure as he would or you celebrate the success, but you're in the stands. And the hardest part is watching it. And all my friends will tell you the same thing. It's hard being a parent, watching your kids play whatever sport it might be. Baseball, hockey, it doesn't matter. And I bring up what he's doing right now because there are a number of different entry points for you into Little Kitchen Academy, which of course is where this podcast is based. I'm not sure if you want to start there, your first inkling of Little Kitchen Academy. How did you become involved at the beginning, Ernie? Well, as you know, Scott, (laughs) I met your father-in-law when we... So Ryan, who is my eldest here, is a lifer at West Point Gray Academy joined at four or five years old. I can't remember. We did the walk and got in. And that's when I met your father-in-law, Clive Austin. And I was so impressed with him, the school. It was recommended to us and we were so lucky and hopeful to get in. We got Ryan in and now I've got a senior in high school, Ava, my daughter, who is now applying and going to be on a university tour soon. She hasn't decided where she's going to go. And, you know, the journey to Little Kitchen started with Clive. And then I met the Kearns when they moved back into Vancouver. And then the girls met, you know, my kids. And it was something I enjoyed doing so much with them. They, for me, were the perfect parents. Brian would laugh at this. But, you know, having said that, it's real. In other words, it's not always perfect being a parent. And our kids aren't always perfect. But, you know, him and I and Felicity have often, and Janet, my wife, have exchanged stories about, like, what did... Gwen do today? What did Ryan do today? Right? And so we laugh about it, but that's the real life. And that's why I like them so much. The Little Kitchen Academy journey. So I've known Brian a long time, as we've said, and I followed his journey through his previous career with Flip Flop Shop. And then when he retired, quote, retired, and then uh, Felicity's idea came along. I was so honored that they considered me to be on the advisory board. I didn't even know who was going to be on the advisory board, but I agreed to because I just love the currents. I love their idea. And then when they filled the advisory board with the high quality talent, well beyond my pay grade, I was so pleased and happy. You know, when we have advisory board meetings, I get so much out of just listening to the other board members speak. Certainly we talk about Little Kitchen, but we talk about other things as well. And You know, I always go on boards hoping to meet very interesting people. And to me, Little Kitchen is the best. It's very interesting, eclectic group from all over North America. And so for that reason, I was so honored and pleased to go on the board. So that was my journey. And now it's taking me on a different route, which I'm sure we're going to get to later, which is, you know, the world that I'm in now after I retired from being an attorney. Absolutely, we're going to get there. And before we do... Because you've had the unique experience of having your children in the school that Felicity's father, my father-in-law, Clive Austin, started, and now having your children go into Little Kitchen Academy, I know your daughter works there part-time as well, how much synergy and overlap do you see between the way Clive set up West Point Gray Academy and the way that Felicity has structured Little Kitchen Academy? Well, beyond the educational component and Montessori model, which I'm not an expert in, I just like the morality of what they're doing. 
And it's, I don't want to say save the planet, but it's somewhat like that. You know, let's do for others to make us a better world. And that's what I liked about Clive. We've often had discussions over glasses of wine about that and the little part we can contribute. And it is a little part, but it's better than no part at all. So, you know, the synergy between Little Kitchen and obviously the Felicity taking up the reins of that was terrific for me. And and I can see it. I wouldn't say it was Clive's legacy, but rather I think she got good training. And so I would say that in the nicest possible way, because there are things I'm sure I could say that I didn't, you know, agree with, with Clive, but that's okay. Disagreement is the way the world works or supposed to work. You know, it's not going to be perfect. So the reason I liked the little kitchen so much was they're practical. I love them to death. I love what they're doing. And, you know, clearly that's been a kid's model, which will hopefully turn into something more than that. And I love their passion. You know, passion for me, I was a passionate attorney. I loved what I did, retired. Now I love what I'm doing now, which is a different career. And I sense that with everybody at the Little Kitchen Academy staffing and ownership and management. Well, and as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, your daughter does work part-time at Little Kitchen Academy in Vancouver. What impact have you witnessed that role as an instructor having on her? Well, she's terrific. I mean, she really enjoys going there. And, you know, when she first started working there, I said, you know, remember, it's a job, even though you know the currents. And she said, yes, but I really enjoy going there. I enjoy the people. I enjoy everybody she works with. Some of the three and four-year-olds are frustrating, but that's, you know, life. I said, get used to it. Maybe when you have kids, you'll figure it out. I want to also tell you another story. So it isn't just Ava that has touched Little Kitchen. So when Ryan was in his senior year of high school, UBC Thunder program, it's the Premier Baseball League, we organized through that team to bring, I think there were 10 of them, maybe more, of baseball players into Little Kitchen for a session. And it was incredibly successful. And so Ryan got to bring his buddies in and watch some of them try to cook. Boiling water is a challenge for many of these high school seniors. Still remains today for some of them, but, you know, it's life skills. And so Ryan also experienced that. But Ava is very grateful for, you know, being able to work there, the people that she meets, and she loves the whole concept. And we'll see when we don't know if she's going to be staying at home this coming year or will be off to other pastures in Canada somewhere. Well, I think you bring up a really important point, Ernie, is that when we think of Little Kitchen Academy, we often think of the three to four-year-olds or maybe the seven to eight-year-olds, but this spans for the most part during Little Kitchen Academy's existence up to 18 years old. And there are a lot of teenagers who don't know their way around the kitchen. And specifically in the case of your son and his teammates, we're talking about high-level athletes that might not know what is an essential ingredient to performing at the highest level, which is fueling your body properly. And there's so much to be gained by that for athletes, isn't there? Well, so this wasn't my idea. Mitch Hodge, who was the coach and the general manager of the the UBC Thunder, he's now the pitching coach at UBC, talked a lot about nutrition, brought nutritionists in to talk about, you know, proper eating habits, what's good for you, what's bad for you as a high performance athlete. I took from that, uh, why don't we bring them to Little Kitchen so they can actually see what that looks like. A nutritionist will tell you what's a good food, what's a bad food, and how to prepare it. But hands-on is how you make it stick and live with it. And they still do this. Thunder program, the Thunderbird program, they talk about nutrition and well-being. And so Little Kitchen was a natural fit for us. 
And then when we took them there, I think it was very successful. And, you know, as a reminder to the Currens, we have to get that back on the table because, you know, that was two years ago and I don't know what's happened since, but it's a terrific idea. And it's not for every week, but just that one event was very impactful for all those kids. They still talk about that. Well, that's wonderful. And I know that there's been a partnership for a number of years between Little Kitchen Academy in Vancouver and the University of British Columbia to introduce the student athlete curriculum, which has actually been helped by interns who have come from the University of British Columbia because people in those programs realize the value of that nutrition. And they also realize the real world experience that students and interns can get by being a part of that. Yeah, exactly. I think that, you know, when I grew up as an athlete, it was all about lifting weights and, and, you know, increasing muscle. And, you know, we talked a little bit about protein and that was about it. Nobody talked about well-being or proper nutrition. And I think it's been proven out and it started at the major league level in all sports that they realized that these high performance athletes couldn't just eat protein. And so they had to control their diets. And so it started from the top down. And now you're seeing in all of these high performance programs, all the way down to 10 and 11 year olds that are on travel teams on all these sports, they talk about nutrition. Coaches talk about this, talk about when they're on travel teams, not having burger and fries every time when they're on the road and watching what we eat and what's good for us and what's bad for us. So UBC connection is fantastic. And I know that I can only speak for the baseball program, but I think all of the athletic programs and teams in UBC are buying into this. This is important, not just for being a better athlete, but probably being a better person health-wise. I would concur. And as I mentioned earlier, you have so many different connections to Little Kitchen Academy that we might as well move in to another one right now. You joked a little earlier that Brian had quote unquote retired, but here he is with a brand new venture and a family business, so to speak. You quote unquote, retired from the legal profession. And yet here you find yourself working as the executive vice president at Element Lifestyle Retirement. How did that opportunity come about? So my last year before I retired, I was already setting up what I was going to do. And what I was going to do was just real estate transactions with a couple of clients of mine. And we had all this set up. In my last year, I started acting for Element Lifestyle Retirement Inc. to complete a transaction in Victoria buying some land. And that's when I met Don Ho and Michael Jiao. And they convinced me. In fact, they took me for lunch on December 23rd and I was retiring on December 31st. They were worried about talking about, you know, an offer because I hadn't officially been finished with the law firm I was with. And I said, I really didn't want to be a full time. I just wanted to see how this might play out. And I still wanted to do what I would do best, which is deals. That led me to uh, now in my fourth, fifth year of being with this company and learning the industry, because I'll be honest, I was clearly a newbie. I knew construction, I knew real estate, and I helped them build the project that I'm in right now, which is called Opal, which is probably the most expensive and highest end project in the country. Not in North America, there's some more in Hollywood, but we're close. And just the passion of it all, when I listen to them, when I watch them, when I now interact with our residents, this is unbelievable. You know, people don't understand, unless you're in it, how exciting this industry is. And it is growing. We had a two-year hiccup called COVID, which for all of our operators, including us, we had to get through. We're now through it. And the curve is straight up with respect to retirement communities. And I'm very excited to be part of that. 
And so for me, it was, I started slow, I was part-time, and now I'm doing, you know, all the stuff with Opal, which is the retirement community I'm in. We have a project we're going to be launching in Victoria. We've got another one in Langley, and we're looking to do some major acquisitions in the U.S. as well. It is a tremendous industry. And I, you know, I came out of real estate where, you know, it was all about warehouses and apartment buildings and hotels and office buildings, which all sounds very exciting. But, you know, it isn't really the people business at all. Hotels may be as close as you'll come. This is, you're, you're operating a real estate facility, but you're operating a business and with really interesting people. The whole notion of seniors has changed to the point where, you know, I've told this story many times. When I started in this business five years ago, people were talking about safety. All retirement communities were advertising, we have the safest community, we have nurses, and our buildings are all safe. And then we had to deal with COVID, which was even higher priority for safety. Now that we're through this, it's about wellness. People are coming to our communities, and we went from in our home from about 65% occupancy to now full after COVID. You know, with due respect to the media, Scott, the media tried to kill our industry with all of the COVID news. People wouldn't move into retirement communities and unfortunately stayed in their homes. And loneliness was a bigger problem than COVID itself. And so now they know that looking backwards, and it's always easier to look backwards. So now the pent-up demand for seniors wanting to go into communities that want to live the rest of their life, not sustain the rest of their life. And so you're seeing the priority in the advertising of all my competitors and us is about wellness and enjoying your life. You know, and the other thing that struck me when I joined the industry, you know, like I'm 70 years old and I thought 65 was the senior's age. It's not anymore. Most of our communities, most of the private pay communities, the average age is in the low 80s. And these are active seniors, not people laying in bed all day. They want to be active. And so it's changed dramatically. Medicine did that. I think people's attitudes did that. And so when you say to somebody who are, are 65, you're a senior, they look at me and laugh. You're not a senior till you're 80. Then you can do different things. And so that was something that opened my eyes. And I can tell you, our residents here at Opal, they are more active than a lot of 65-year-old people I know. They want to get up and go on all fronts. Bus tours off to the casino this morning. I just saw them go. Everybody thinks they all go to the casino. There are other things we do. That's a great segue, right, Scott? Into Little Kitchen. It absolutely is. And thank you for providing that for me because you mentioned a number of things there that are important and that reframing of what it means to be in a retirement or senior living facility. People want more options. They want them for the facilities that are at the location so that they can live and be active. And they also want them for the programs that are being offered. And before you go on, I have to interrupt you for a second. Okay. This is a pet peeve of mine. We don't call our communities facilities. Facilities to me is a prison or is an institutional facility. And so I've had this discussion with Brian as well. We use the word communities or homes is fine. But facility to me is what we saw in COVID, showing it on the news in Quebec. You know, four to a room and they look like prisons and they were facilities. So one thing I've often said, and it's a pet peeve of mine, is we call ourselves communities or homes. A facility is a building. A community is the people. 
And so sorry to interrupt you, but that's one of my pet peeves. We call ourselves communities. Not a problem at all. Language matters and perception matters. And I appreciate you making the correction. And I will try to make that same correction moving forward because senior living communities, yes, they want more facilities within them where people can be active and they want those programs that I was referring to a minute ago. And I don't think Felicity, Brian, or anybody would have ever viewed Little Kitchen Academy as having a program for seniors. But here we are, January 2024, and they are rolling out brand new senior classes at LKA. What is your view on why Little Kitchen Academy is a good fit for seniors? So I have to give you a little bit of background. A year or two ago, when we were open at Opal, I wanted to bring LKA Mobile here. And my idea was to have a class but have the grandparents and our residents bring their grandchildren and have a class within it. That was the first idea. We have an open kitchen, and that was where it started. Because of COVID, we just couldn't pull it off. Felicity, in the meanwhile, looked into this Montessori model with seniors. The Kearns came to me in December and said, what about this? And I said, well, it sounds amazingly interesting. Seniors are always looking for a couple of things. Obviously, entertainment socialization, and this fits the bill. So, you know, when we talked about putting together a seniors program, and I'll tell you about our pilot, which which we already did, it was, to me, a tremendous idea. I thought this is a way for seniors to enjoy maybe what they did in their past, or maybe they didn't do this in their past at all, because we get homemakers like wives and mothers who have been in their kitchen their whole life, and businessmen who have never been in the kitchen. And we had both of those in our pilot. So I want to talk about the pilot. So we ran a pilot where we brought eight of our residents, bust them there, brought them there. And Felicity and her team put together a curriculum, a little different than the three-year-old and four-year-olds, but they were so impressed. And it started with, they walked in, they got their chef's coat, and we explained to them how this works. We talked about the table, we talked about the living garden, and they made shortbread for Christmas. And then we talked a little bit about their products. And as Brian knows, one of my residents bought some of the knife sets right on the spot. And so we at Opal are just working out the logistics now of making this a permanent program. And as I said to Brian, I think that general managers, whether it's in publicly funded or in private pay, are going to look at this program and say, this is a no-brainer. This is a way for seniors to be active you know, leaving aside the fact that using knife skills and cooking skills is really good if you're arthritic. We talked about that, but it's the mind. It's going and being social. You know, some of them have their own kitchens, but they don't use them. That's why we have, you know, dinner packages and, you know, meal packages. But the fact is, when we talked to our people and they went to the pilot, they said, we want to go again. Like, we love this. And so this is an opportunity for all of us in the seniors community to add to the programs. Every one of the communities have the standard programs. We're all going to our shows and casinos, unfortunately, for some. You know, this is an addition, and it's a terrific addition because it not only gets them out and makes them social, but brings back skills for some or shows them skills that they didn't have before. And it's fun. Part of this is the fun aspect and the socialization, and I can't emphasize that enough. Seniors are active in most communities. They don't just want to sit there. They want to be active in programs. And this LKA program, which was the brainchild of the Kearns, was fantastic. 
my idea was a little different. What I was talking about, you know, bringing them here and still having kids involved. When we talked about it at our advisory board, I think most people understood the demand is huge. We know that. Just look at the facts. I'm a boomer and like I'm just part of millions of people worldwide as they get older and we're healthier and we want to be active. And this is a way to stay active and have fun. And I just want to note before we move on that as the rollout continues this month in January of 2024, different franchises will be rolling out their senior programs at different times. So listeners of this podcast, you can sign up for email updates from the location closest to you. You can find out when classes are available and when they are coming to your area. But I think you make a really good point in that last answer, Ernie, is that we look at seniors and deservedly so for the wisdom that they can give generations behind them. But we don't often consider how much seniors still want to learn and how much capacity they still have to take on new things at the stage of life that they're in. Well, yeah. And, you know, the Internet's a wonderful thing. But, you know, a senior sitting in front of his iPad all day, you know, that gets boring. You know, how much can you surf, right? So, you know, the big part of LKA is getting out. You're not running a marathon, but you're at the kitchen table, cooking things, doing things. And that's what they love the best. This was an activity that for most of them wasn't physically challenging because we worried a little bit about that. You know, I said to Brian, standing three hours, two hours, but it turned out it was easy. They didn't even notice it. Nobody said they were tired when they left. <laughs> and so this is a way to get out and be active without, you know, running a marathon, so to speak, or doing something like that, that you do, I know. And so that's why it's so good. It's a physical and mental activity that people can enjoy and they get to eat what they make, which is even better. Well, and share what they make from what I've heard as well. We often talk about how the students, the children at Little Kitchen Academy are so proud to share what they've created with their parents. From what I understand, the seniors who participated in the pilot program were so proud to take what they had created back to their community and share it with those that they'd be having a happy hour or some type of gathering with. Yeah. In fact, I heard in the dining room, overheard in the dining room within days, when are we getting started? Because, you know, Eva made a bunch of shortbread and she shared some of her cookies and they were delicious. You know, so yes, to answer your question, she shared and the people loved it. It was something that she made, she was quite proud of, and she could pass it on. And people loved it. So yeah, to answer your question, it was a win-win for not only the people who were there, but the people who got the cookie. Well, and I think it goes back to the word that you interjected and made sure we were going to use moving forward. And that's community, because the backbone of Little Kitchen Academy is the community and the community table at the end of each session that everybody sits around. And as you pointed out, rightly so, a few minutes ago, community is at the heart of senior living. And that really is the tie that binds, whether it's a toddler coming in at two or an 85-year-old coming in for a cooking class. Well, very clearly, Scott, I mean, the three and four-year-olds, even the 10 and 11-year-olds, they might have a little bit of socialization, but it's a far different concept. For these seniors, the socialization is very important. The smiles on their faces, I know that Brian, I think, taped some of this, was amazing. Just pulling the things out of the cupboards was fun. The mixer, when they mixed the dough, it was hilarious to watch. One of the men had never even used a mixer before. So we had to explain to him how to put it up and put it down, turn the button on. So it was fun and everybody laughed about it, you know? So that's the key. They were having a lot of fun. And a lot of them don't get a chance to do that hands-on, right? They show up at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, rightfully so. 
and we make fantastic meals. So do my competitors in the communities. But many of them don't have hands-on experience or don't want to have it at this point. But this is an opportunity to do it and do it and have fun. And that's what happened with our pilot, for sure. Well, you knew this question was coming at some point, and so I will ask it now because every single guest on this podcast gets asked this question, Ernie. What is the one ingredient that is always in your kitchen and why? Okay, I have to say two because people will think I'm a drunk, but wine is always one of them because when I'm grilling especially, I like drinking wine, but then it looks like I'm a drunk. So garlic would be mine. And so historically in my family, I'm German 100%. On my mom's side, we just unfortunately had my aunt die at 96. She was very healthy, but garlic lover. Everybody in my family ate garlic. And I cannot remember a time when, you know, I came from my mom's home cooking where garlic wasn't a big component. So in my ingredients, it's garlic. Wine is 1A, only because I don't want to be perceived as an alcoholic. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear about your aunt, and I'm sorry for your loss for your family. You mentioned she lived a very good life, and you talked a little bit about your background with food. Were you introduced to the kitchen at a very young age, or did you come to it a little later? So my mom was a stay-at-home cook. My experience at home was fantastic. I mean, my nickname growing up was Fats, because I was. And even though I was athletic, uh, I didn't thin down till I was a senior in high school. So I loved eating. I loved to cook. I love grilling. I'm not a great cook, as my family will attest, but I love grilling. For me, I was exposed to that very young. My father, he's passed away five years ago. We would go to his house and we would grill together, only so we could have a glass of wine and throw on the steaks. And I could tell my dad the steaks were overdone. Let's take them off. We'd always have a fight about the grilling, right? You know, so I grew up being a griller. And my father, that's all he did was grill. He couldn't cook spaghetti or anything like that. You know, so I grew up knowing how to cook at least. And then when I went off to college to play baseball, you learn how to cook (laughs) by by necessity, right? And it wasn't great. (laughs) Trust me. Which is why we talked about those programs earlier, so that it can be a lot better for those future generations. I'm sure your daughter, by virtue of working at Little Kitchen Academy, knows her way around a kitchen and and has a good relationship with the kitchen. And perhaps your son as well. You mentioned he'd been introduced to those programs. What's it been like for your kids growing up? Are they a lot better and more handy around the kitchen than perhaps you were at their age? Well, my wife's a fantastic cook and my daughter is a fantastic cook. She loves cooking. She takes her time preparing meals. Ryan's more of an air fryer kind of guy, but you know, at least he knows his way around the kitchen. And so he is doing that now a lot more than he used to. I would say he will get there. He's going to get there because once he gets on his own, he will be required to do that. But my daughter and wife, they're amazing cooks. And I just follow the lead. And now I, they're, they're getting me to cook more and more. Ava uh, always comes home and tells us exactly what you know they cooked in the class and has taken some of those recipes and made them. And we've been the, you know, the recipients of those. So we're very happy about that. So maybe while they're busy getting everything together except for the grilling, because that's your specialty, are you just firing up the entertainment? Somebody's got to entertain. Are you putting on some Tony Orlando and giving us some sort of karaoke? What's happening there? Reiner and I are watching sports on TV. How about that? <laughs> that's the prep that Brian and I do when, when the girls are in the kitchen. Right? We watch every sport. <laughs> Trust me. Ryan, during NFL Sunday, will be on three different devices watching the games. And it is what it is. 
I love sports as much, so I can't be critical. So with, more often than not, Scott, we try to stay out of the way of, you know, Janet and Ava because they're fantastic at it. We do cleanup, we do prep, and we do grilling. That's what we do. And we watch NFL and whatever sports on. Baseball, big time. We're huge Jays fans, huge Raptors fans, soon to be Canucks fans. We're getting back, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> well, it's a good year to come back. There's a lot of people who are doing the same thing. You still have nimble feet. I can tell that because you sidestep my intro to your karaoke career. I was told to ask about you potentially singing a song for us here. No, no singing. You know, it's interesting. You know, the residents, like I, as I said to you, are very active and we have a big theater and we do like we do run movies and do all the usual stuff. And we have the biggest, highest end karaoke machine because my president, Michael Jow, loves karaoke, although he and I both don't sing. But our residents fight for the microphone. It's crazy how much they like singing. And with, during Christmas, every time I'd go down there, they were singing and billowing out Christmas carols. So it's not what I do. I avoid it. It's very annoying to most people's ears when I sing. But we have some terrific voices and you know, we have a big karaoke theater room that we use. And most of our communities within have something like that. They do sing songs for sure. Well, keep singing the praises of senior living communities. You've taught us all something here today as well. And I think People's mindsets have shifted a lot and they'll continue to shift. Keep advocating for it. It's really important work. And thank you very much today for your time, Ernie. I really appreciate the conversation. Last thing I just want everybody to tell you today, go hug a senior. It's important. There are people that have been alone in life. Most of our communities, we get the senior because of an event. One of the spouses, unfortunately, has left us. So if you know a senior, if it's your parent, go hug a senior today. It's very important. They are the best people on the planet right now. It's a great, great shout. And thank you very much again, Ernie. My pleasure. Happy New Year. And Chinese New Year is coming on the 10th. So uh, you're the dragon. Get ready. It's a big year. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen? 